0: Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Calloway. I serve as the student and education pastor here at Unity. In this episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer will be sharing a message on Resolutions. Stay with us to the end and find out how you can connect to the Unity Baptist Church.
1: All right. You want to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra, Chapter 7. Ezra. If you don't know where that's at, flop to the middle of your Bibles. You'll probably end up in Psalms. Take a left, a few books, and you'll run into Ezra eventually. We're in the middle of a, a brief mini-series as we start the new year. About we talked about New Year, New Purpose. This year is, or this week is New Year, New Resolutions. New Year's resolutions. It's estimated by the New York Times that 74% of us Americans, we make some kind of resolution for the new year. And not surprisingly, 39% of those resolutions involves our appetites and what we're gonna change and what we eat or possibly whether or not we're going to finally plug in that treadmill once again. What's surprising to me about the, the statistic here is I think of the 26% and I have to wonder what's going through their minds. Why did they stop making resolutions? For most of us, we probably stop making resolutions because we've made resolutions before and we didn't come through with it. And there's an acute sense of failure because we started something that we weren't able to finish. And so we've just kind of resolved in our heart that I'm just not going to make a resolution again and that way I don't fail. What we don't understand is at that point, we have failed to make a resolution. Are resolutions important and should we be making them? In a word, yes. We should be making resolutions. You say, but I'm just going to fail at it again this year. We don't know that. That's not projecting faith. Aside from that, we forget that Proverbs 24, 16 says, even a righteous man falls seven times. But what does he do? He gets back up again. You see, with every failed resolution, we are preparing our heart in a better way to to walk obediently later. We learn something from every so-called failed resolution. Resolution. We should be making them. God is in the business of continually changing us. God doesn't want to leave us the same. We're not just forgiven in Christ. We're converted and continually being converted through Christ. God doesn't want us to remain the same. He wants us to change. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, okay, you're a believer. You've been baptized into Jesus. He is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Those two words, has come, in the English, is a single Greek word in the perfect tense, which means in the past something took place, but it continues to happen in the present and will continue on in the future. And so when we came into Jesus, we were changed fundamentally, but now we are continuing to be changed in Christ. It's what we call progressive sanctification, God doesn't want us to leave us the way he found us. He wants us to walk, as Romans 6, 4 says, in newness of life. So we've been made new. We should continue to walk or to live in that newness. It should reflect that new life. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are we going to be at the end of 2022? The simple answer is we're going to be where we plan to be. I mean, that's, that's profound, isn't it? You don't just show up somewhere and discover that you've had some kind of meaningful life change without making intentional efforts to resolve to do that. Nobody just finds themselves on a stage on graduation day and said, wow, how did I earn that PhD? We don't just stumble into self-improvement. We don't just stumble into maturity. We don't stumble into uh, you know, a 150 pound ripped six pack ab body. We don't just fall into that. That's something that we make intentional resolutions to to accomplish, we will be at the end of this year where we resolve to be. Today we're gonna look at a man that you probably haven't done a lot of study on, a man named Ezra, a simple priest and a scribe in the nation of Israel, but God did mighty things through him. And Ezra in chapter seven is going to make a resolution. And of all the people in the world, Ezra had every reason in the world not to accomplish that resolution. He had a lot of things stacked against him. So let's look briefly at why did Ezra fulfill his resolutions for the year. First thing is we're going to see is he didn't blame his situation. Let's look a little bit at Ezra's situation and why he shouldn't have accomplished this resolution. In Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah. Do you want me to go on? I mean, it's a lot of names here. And then ultimately it leads up to the son of Aaron, the priest. He's showing his lineage that he's of the Aaronic priesthood. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. Ezra had no good reason to rise above the mediocrity of his age. Religion was at an all-time low. Uh, Israel itself, what's happening in their life right now? By just reading this text, we realize there's something wrong. Why? Because we're looking at Israel's history by timing it according to a Persian king. What do we care about a Persian king for? You see, there's this Persian king, Artaxerxes. We know he's the first of the Artaxerxes. It's simply a title. But this is Artaxerxes Longimanus, who took this name. Why are we timing Jewish history with a Persian king? It's because right now, the Jews are under what we call the Babylonian captivity. They're under the power, the domination of the Medo-Persian empire. They're in time out. They've disobeyed God, they've walked in idolatry, and God said, enough is enough. I told you what would happen if you get into idolatry, and now I'm taking you out of the land that I promised you, and I'm going to take the best and brightest of the land, and they're gonna get deported into the nation of the Medo-Persian Empire and the Babylonians. You see, Israel had been fractured into a northern and southern kingdom due to sin. Shortly after the reign of King Solomon, the nation fractured into the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom of Israel was particularly wicked. They went 0 for 19 on good kings. They were entirely wicked, and in 721, they were drug out of their land forcibly. Judah had a few good kings that kind of delayed, if you will, their judgment, but their judgment was also sure. In 587 BC, they too were taken into captive into Babylon. But this was not just a time of foreign domination. It was a time of foreign influence. They didn't just take the Jews out of their land. The goal of the Babylonians was to make the entire world Babylonian. And so they took Babylonians and they sent them into the land with the blue-collar Jews or those who were old or poor or whatever they didn't want to bring into their land, and they intermarried. And then they took the best and the brightest, the leaders, the artisans, the, you know, the craftsmen, those who were skilled and educated, and they took them out of Israel, and then they brought them into the land of Babylon. And they, taught that they gave them Babylonian names. You remember Daniel was given the name of Belteshazzar. Uh, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For whatever reason, we still tell the story given their Babylonian names. Their Jewish names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And we read stories of Daniel in the lion's den, we read stories of the great statue, the gold statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We read the story of the fiery furnace. All of this took place in Babylon during this period of time, during the Babylonian captivity. And so Ezra was born into the worst of all times to be a Jew. It was a sad and depressing time. There was no temple. there wasn't a whole lot of organized religion. It's during this period of time you know that they began to to kind of worship together uh, just privately to maintain their religion and their their uh, culture a little bit in the synagogues. Even the people around the Jews began to become more comfortable in Babylonia, okay? They were, sure, they would complain about being in Babylon and not being in that promised land, but how many of them actually went back with Ezra? Very few, okay? There was a whole lot of Jews. It's been estimated some 80 or 90,000 Jews remained even after all three waves of the Jews returned back to the land. They enjoyed their time, in Babylon, they became they became too comfortable with Babylonian uh, TV channels and Babylonian, you know, shopping malls and just the life of Babylonia. Okay, there's 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 so much to enjoy there. They became too much like the people that they were around. There's why else should Ezra not have succeeded? Uh, he himself wasn't anybody terribly special. Okay, he was not a high priest. He wasn't a governor. He wasn't some major leader of any kind. I mean, when we, we talk about major leaders, they don't need an introduction. When we say Moses, the Bible doesn't have to say, you know, Moses, son of this guy, son of this guy, son of this guy, you know, they, but with Ezra, they'll have to be like, he'll say, you know, Ezra, and people say, Ezra who? Oh, you know, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, yada, 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 Aaron. This Ezra, is what the, that's all he gets. You know, this guy, this, this Ezra, oh, oh, okay, that guy. He was a simple man who who, you might think of him as just kind of a small-town church pastor. Nobody knows his name to speak of, or if they do, it's common enough that, you know, which Ezra are we talking about? So in his personhood, in his nation, there was no reason he should have succeeded. Ezra's resolution also came to fruition, number two, because he worked his resolution. In verse 6, it says, "'He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord God of Israel had given.'" Sure, Ezra was just an average priest. He was a scribe. What did the scribes do? He, think of him as a priestly secretary, okay? There's, there's, there's nothing notable about his, his priestly service. One thing the Bible does say about Ezra, though, is he was good at his job. He was skilled, sort of like Proverbs 22, uh, 29, which says, if you see a man skilled in his work, he will stand before kings. That's this Ezra. This word skilled means that Ezra was fluent. What the skills that he had, they were fluid. They moved right through him. It was natural. It was second nature to him. It means that somebody has a ready and quick knowledge of something. When they want to recall it, it's quick. It's there. It's the right word at the right time in the right place. When we think of fluency, we think of language a lot of times. You have the right word at the right time in the right place. My wife and I, we spent uh, you know, 11 years in China and when we went to China, we didn't have a lot of language. We knew how to say, hello, do you have any apples? And that was it. And let me tell you, that doesn't get you very far in China. And so we continued to work hard at language. Language didn't just Come to us naturally. Those of you who have studied languages and those of you who have studied tonal, character-driven languages, you know language doesn't come naturally. You don't just wake up one morning and say, parlez-vous français. You know, we don't just wake up and, and realize that somehow buying this French book taught me French. It takes intentional desire and effort to persevere in the intention of arriving at a place where these Chinese words are, are natural and fluent. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, and you're gonna stumble in it too. There were times, there was a time we were having a conversation with uh, some folks at a wedding, this formal dinner, and I'm talking to them in Chinese with these Chinese friends, and I somehow I ended up calling my daughter Capri, my mistress, and that was really embarrassing. They're laughing, I'm trying to figure it out. <clears throat> it wasn't long before I realized that was a major stumble in my words. Uh, The the word for mother and horse in Chinese are separated only by a slight tonal difference. So we gotta be careful with that one. And so in in language, to come to a place of fluency, you have to be intentional and give great effort continually and persevere to come to a place where you have the right word at the right time for the right people. But the Bible says that, that Ezra wasn't simply skilled in words, he was skilled in what? in the law of Moses. He was skilled in the Bible. He was fluent. <clears throat> uh, Ezra was able to bring the right verse at the right time to the right people. It just, it just flowed through him. You know, it, as it's been said, when you're cut, you should bleed Bible. It's just, it's just in your veins. As a Christian, we should be so skilled in the Word of God, not just a pastor, not just a deacon, not just a Sunday school teacher. Every Christian is supposed to be so skilled in the word of God that the right verses come to the right time at the right people, okay? It's just, it's fluid, it's fluent. And this also takes years of intentionality. David said in Psalm one nineteen ninety seven, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David had a fluency in the scriptures. Why? Because David had a love for the scriptures. Why would David love the scriptures, just love some book? Because it's not just some book. This is God's love letter to man. And so Christians aren't these weird people who are in love with a book. We're in love with a God who wrote this book. And so I want to know what God has to say. Friends, let me tell you, you'll never become fluent in the Word of God until you first love God and love His Word. If we don't love God's Word, it's just going to be a discipline that we check off for a while because we know it's the right thing to do. But my heart really isn't there. I'm already thinking ahead to, you know, watching the game. Or I'm thinking ahead to running to work. I'm thinking ahead to, you know, getting on the elliptical and getting a workout in. David was the kind of guy who, had, who loved God's Word such that he meditated on it all day. And by the way, meditation has nothing to do with Eastern mysticism. Meditation is not clearing one's mind. Meditation is the opposite. It's filling one's mind with the Word of God. And like a cow chewing its cud, you know, it's just over and over and over. You're just regurgitating this information, and you're chewing on it again and again and again. That's how much David loved God's law. And that's why David knew God's law. Verse 165 David would write, Great peace have those who love your law. We've got to love God's law before we learn God's law. If we don't learn it, if if we don't love it, we don't have a longing and a passion for God's word, we're never going to become fluent in it. Having a love for God's word is like what they said in the churches of Revelation we've been studying. It's someone who has an ear to hear. Your heart is leaning toward God. You want whatever God's got for you. You want to receive that. Let me just switch gears for just a, just a brief moment here before we move on. Let me just talk to parents for a second. Parents, in what are your children fluent? There's a lot of things that we can that we make sure that our children are fluent in. Obviously, they need to know how to speak English. That's really helpful in this country. You know, we want to make sure our children are fluent in English, right? But beyond that, we want to make sure that they're fluent in writing, in, fluent in mathematics, fluent in sciences. Why? Because we know that at some point in time in their life, this is going to make them a better, more successful person. Others, we want our children to be fluent in some other things because it helps us as we do things together. Maybe you're a great fisherman. You know, Uh, I I imagine that Kevin Riddle probably took his children out fishing a couple of times, made sure they were fluent in certain things, you know, that they were going to learn what kind of fish are in what kind of lakes, what time of the day to go fishing. You know, some fish, you you go fishing in the early morning for them, some of them late at night, never when it's convenient, by the way, Uh, always in early in the morning or late at night, and you have to know what kind of lures they want, and you so you have to know a lot about that to be fluent in fishing. And, because, and why? Because he wants to enjoy time with his kids, and that's something that they enjoy doing. You know, and so we make sure that our children are fluent in things that we think are going to make them successful in life. Let me ask you, how many of us are making sure that our children are fluent, skilled in the law of Moses, in the Bible? If we are making sure that our children are fluent in God's Word, it's because we actually believe that God's Word is essential for their success in life. Sort of like Teddy Roosevelt once said, a, a thorough knowledge of the Scripture is worth more than a college education. Why? It's because a college education can teach you how to make a living, can teach you how to earn money so that you can buy a house, you can buy a car, you can, you can do life. College can teach you how to make a living, but it can't teach you how to make a life. That same child who makes a lot of money might still bust up three marriages, might still have a horrible relationship with their children, might be uh, hopelessly hooked on some kind of addiction. They might be torpedoing their life by breaking the law. That's why we have to make sure that our children are fluent in God's word because we believe that God's word is useful. You say, but my child, they don't want to come to church. My child, they don't want to go to Sunday school. They don't want to go to Awanas. Friends, since when are we voting, letting our children vote on what they want to do for what's healthy for them? Did you let your kids vote on whether or not they eat green beans? I hope not, because no kid's going to naturally want to eat green beans. They're not going to want to eat Brussels sprouts. I didn't want to. You didn't want to eat canned spinach when you were a kid either. It's nasty. It's disgusting. It looks like a mass of seaweed that washed up on the shore. But your mama made you eat it anyway. Why? Because she knew it's good for you and left to yourself, you're going to take another handful of Hershey's Kisses, and it's going to make you sick. But you made them do what's healthy for them anyway. This is what parents do. Children are not mature enough to make all their own decisions. And they're certainly not made old enough to make their own decisions on whether or not they want to go to church or whether or not they want to hear about God. That's something that a parent does for the child to make sure that they're fluent in these activities. What if we just leave a child to make all those own decisions for themselves? Proverbs 29, 15 answers that. The rod and reproof give wisdom. By the way, does the Bible teach spanking? right here in about 15 other verses in proverbs alone not talking about abuse i'm not talking about anger that's another sermon for another day though uh he says but a child left to himself a parent who will not stop their sin will not stop their evil will not confront them just kind of lets the kid do his own thing even within your house a child left to himself to make all his own decisions what are they going to do he's going to bring shame to his mother what's that saying it means a child left to himself, allowed to make his own decisions about God, his own decisions about health, his own decisions about authority, right and wrong. They're gonna be a prayer request by age 25. When our children are little, our, one of our great prayer requests is God help them, you know, you know marry a good person, uh, help them to make a lot of money and to do well in life. But in our old age, friends, what is our prayer request for our children? Dear God, may they come back to church. God, my son, who now denies that God exists, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to him and draw him to Jesus. When they're older, we don't so much care about whether or not our children can make a living. We want to make sure that our children make a life. And for those of you with young children, parents, it's not too late. Make the decision to make your children fluent and skilled in God's word. And perhaps when they are older, that won't be your prayer request train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, let's look at number three. Why else did Ezra's resolution come to fruition? God's hand was upon him. Verse, chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, it says, The king granted him all that he asked for or because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. We're going to see this again and again in the book of Ezra. And he went also up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants. He's describing the people that went back with Ezra to establish temple worship and reestablish uh, their religious life. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was then the seventh month of the king, for on the first day of the first month, he began to go up to Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. Be honest with me. How many of you guys' minds were wandering while I just read those last few bits right there? Uh, Sometimes we read pieces of this in the Scripture, and we take it by faith that it's valuable, but we're not quite sure why all this is here. We know 2 Timothy 3 talks about how all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable but we don't always know why. Not every piece of scripture is supposed to give you a one, two, three on how to improve your life. Some scripture is just here to show you that the Bible is a verifiable book. God isn't just gonna make up stories and tell us to believe it by faith. God puts all of these stories in a historical time and place in history. It's like God is challenging me, challenging us. You go fact check that look it up. You can trust it. I'm not going to tell you about some bizarre, unknown race of Nephites in America. I'm looking at you Mormons. Okay, this is a historical, verifiable document. What, what does that have to do with Ezra's resolutions? I want you to focus on the phrase, and God's hand, the good hand of God was upon him. Five different times you're going to see this referenced in the book of Ezra. It's going to continue on and say that about Nehemiah. I don't know if you knew this or not. There were three waves of Jews that came back into the land. The first one was under Zerubbabel. So now you know that for... Uh, Bible trivia night. Uh, the second one, uh, by the way, is Zerubbabel. They re- he rebuilt the temple and some of the other structures in the city. Ezra came back with those who would fill the temple with its those who serve and reestablish culture and religion. And the third wave came under Nehemiah, who is who famously built the wall that protected everything that Zerubbabel and Ezra and those who followed back uh, built up. Okay. So what does it mean though that God's hand was upon? Ezra. When we talk about somebody's hand being upon somebody, it's conferring your authority, your support, your power, and your strength. It means that you approve of this person, so your authority, power, and strength follow that individual. If you've ever seen an ordination service for a pastor, maybe a, a missionary, a commissioning service, a deacon, what do we do with them? we lay our hands upon them. Laying one's hand upon someone in that identifying kind of way indicates that this person, we identify with them. We believe in them. They, their life is pleasing to the Lord. We trust them. And so this person, we're laying hands on them, identifying them, sending them out, but not just, not just because we believe in them, but we be, we're giving them our authority. They carry all the Authority that the church can confer upon them, and they, and they carry that out. And not only that, but we also send money with them. It means we support them, we strengthen them. You know, we are missionaries, we visit them. Many of you have gone over to Africa and you've been a part of these missions. Because we have laid our hand upon them, our support, our power, our strength goes with him so when we say that God's hand is upon Ezra it means that God is so pleased with Ezra in his life that God is laying hands on him and that God's authority and his power go forward with Ezra because apart from God's power and authority we can't do anything as a church It's why in the Great Commission, the part that we we always forget in the Great Commission is that we usually start with, go ye therefore. But how does the Great Commission actually begin? All authority is given unto me. And then, if you will, Jesus is laying his hands upon us and saying, go therefore. Why are we going therefore? That's what therefore means. See what it's there for. Why do we go? It's because all authority has been given to Jesus who has now given that to us. And Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. And so God's hand is upon Ezra and that's why Ezra was successful. You can't have success, true success in life without God's hand being upon you. Which means we live life God's way. Unity Baptist Church, we need God's hand upon us, amen? We need his hand upon us, that God looks down at our church, and he sees that we're doing church his way. And God says, that's the kind of church I want to strongly support. And if you will, the good hand of God can be upon Unity Baptist Church, which means we go forth with his authority, with his power, with his provision and strength. Apart from that, we're not going to amount to anything as a church, same thing goes for your pastor. I'm, I'm going to be worthless to you unless God's hand is upon me. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, Paul even said, Who then is Apollos? Some of us don't even know who Apollos is. You're like, I'm asking the same thing. Uh, you know, so what then is Apollos? Who is Paul? He says they're simply servants, they're slaves through whom you believed. They're just. Conduits. They're just vehicles of truth. He says, as the Lord has assigned, he says, uh, whom you believed as the Lord has assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. Who gives the growth? God gives the growth. We can't force the growth. He says, so neither is he who plants or he who waters is anything. Pastors, missionaries were nothing, leaders were nothing. We're just, we're just a pot that holds the plant, okay? We're, we're, we're just a vehicle to things. He says, but only God who gives the growth. This isn't a statement of humility. It's a statement of reality. And we have to believe that and understand that apart from God, John 15, er, 15 verse 5, apart from God, you can do nothing. Our church is not going to be great because we follow some new religious trend or fad or because we follow LifeWay's newest publication or or VBS or program or activity. It's not because we follow some kind of religious corporate policy that we learn that we can increase all of our key reporting areas if we follow this. Our church will mean something eternally if the good hand of God is upon us. And his good hand of God is not going to be upon us unless we first choose to do what John 15 also says, which is I am the vine, you are the branches, you must abide in me. You've got to hold close to me. You've got to be a church that does what I want you to do. You've got to be a church that does it how I I want you to do it but he who abides in me will bear much fruit friends if you want Unity Baptist Church to bear much fruit we have to abide in him we've got to choose to do things God's way the alternative is to do it man's way we follow man's ideas man's wisdom and man's tradition we do it in our own strength but Jesus already told us where that leads he says apart from me you can't do anything And until we believe that, we're going to continue doing it our way. The last thing here in verse uh, number four is, why did Ezra's plans come to fruition? It says, well, that Ezra made plans. And this sounds ridiculous, but we're talking about the 26 percenters here. Those who have chosen this year, you're entering into 2022 with zero ambition to be any better a person at the end of the year than you began. You came into this year and you say, I'm just happy to survive 2021. What are you going to be in 2022? I don't know. I just hope I'm still alive. Is that the attitude that a Christian should have? That we have zero ambition to be any better, any more mature, any more mighty in the Lord or skilled in the law of Moses than we were at the beginning of 2022? It doesn't show faith if we're not making those resolutions. God, like like Ezra, I want to resolve myself to being a more mature, devoted follower at the end of 2022 than how I began. So in this verse, in verse 10, we're gonna see Ezra's resolution, what it was. By the way, this would make a fantastic memory verse. Ezra chapter seven, verse 10 says, for Ezra had set his heart, To study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Those of you who are at home, read this together with me out loud. If you want to, it'll help you memorize it. But I just want you to drill this in. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In Israel, Friends, this is, a, this is a verse worth writing down and memorizing. I encourage you to do that. Make, make that a resolution. I'm going to learn one Bible verse this year, which is probably one more than we learned last year. Okay, so it's a good start. So this is a resolution, friends, worth living for. You get back on the treadmill and that's your resolution. I think that's a good resolution. Maybe you'll be one of those we talked about last week who goes makes it to 80 instead of 70. So physical exercise, it's, it's, it has its benefits. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is value in every way as it holds promise for this present life, right? And also for what? the life to come. In other words, training in godliness, making ourselves and our children fluent in the word of God, it's going to help us live the most full life that we're supposed to enjoy today, but also, it affects our eternal future. Now, all of a sudden, that looks like a much more important resolution than whether or not I get back on the treadmill, whether or not I start drinking protein shakes this year. We've got to... Resolve Because just like none of you have six-pack abs because you accidentally stumbled into it, none of us are going to come to the end of 22 and just go, look how much more mature I am in Christ than I was at the beginning of 2022. It doesn't happen by accident. Like fluency in any skill, it's going to take disciplined perseverance to arrive at that location. The Bible says that Ezra set his heart to do something. Okay, this is, the word, this is the word where we get resolution. To set one's heart in the Hebrew simply means to make a firm commitment toward a course of action. You're making a firm commitment to do something. It's the exact same Hebrew word that was used of the Israelites who made a firm commitment to obey God in a certain area. When God would give them manna from heaven every day, on the sabbath they weren't supposed to gather manna because that would have been work and they weren't supposed to work on the sabbath so the night before the day before on friday the jews had to make a firm commitment to gather double for that day so they didn't have to work on the sabbath that's the same word it's a firm commitment i'm going to choose yes it's a pain to gather double today and not to gather the next day and to eat leftovers nobody likes leftovers but i'm going to make a firm commitment and i'm going to follow it through because this is what god wants It's that word. You're making, you're a resolution. It's something that doesn't happen by accident. I'm going to make an intentional effort to do something. If you've ever done anything dangerous or exciting, you know that that doesn't happen accidentally either. Nobody ever just woke up. Wow, I'm jumping out of an airplane. This is exciting. How did I get here? You know, you had to think through this thing. You know, there's one time when I was a young fella in Iowa, I went rappelling off cliffs, and I know you're already laughing. You went rappelling off cliffs in Iowa. I bet you that was fun, you know? But uh, you, we went rappelling to a place in northeast Iowa called Cherry Point, and there were 30, 60, and even 90-foot cliffs, let me tell you, to a person who's never rappelled, that's still intimidating. And so we'd get off these cliffs, and before I went down, I was, I was pretty intimidated, honestly and I had to watch several people not fall to their death before I decided I was going to try this thing and so we get all suited up I get roped up and I I didn't just leap off I had to really think through this okay I'm not going to die I'm not going to die Jesus says I'm with you and all right I'm going to do this thing and so I'm just kind of here we go here we go here we go what am I doing I'm resolving in my heart that I'm going to follow through on a certain action, but it doesn't happen until I first resolve my heart. I steal my heart. I will do this. I'm going to do this, and then pretty soon, you know, you find yourself jumping off mountains with a rope and regretting it halfway down, but it was was a lot of fun. This is the word for resolution that you realize there's something that needs to be done and you just you're you're resolving in your heart you're thinking about it you're contemplating I'm going to do this how am I going to do this I know I need to do this I'm going to do this by God's grace I will grow or I will be more mature in Christ by the end of 2021 how Resolution isn't just a resolution. I'm going to be a better person. No, you've got to resolve to do certain things to be a, a better person. So what are the things that Ezra resolved to do? The first, the, the three things he mentioned here in his resolution is that he's going to study the law of God. He's going to do it, and he's going to teach his statutes and rules in Israel to study the law of God. Ezra's spiritual commitment is that he's going to read and study the Bible, He's not just going to rely for his spiritual knowledge on what he gets on a Sunday morning. Did you know there's a lot of Christians who, who think that it's adequate? That their Bible knowledge is adequate just for what they gather here on a Sunday morning? Friends, you know, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, is that really enough to carry you throughout the entire week, throughout your entire life? I mean, we watch, that's, that's one episode of a show. That's not, you're never going to become fluent in God's word if you trust in me for all of your Bible knowledge. Besides, I'm just a man. You don't, I'm not your authority. God's word is your authority. The Bereans in Acts 17, it says, they searched the word how often? Daily. To see if the things that Paul said were true. Hello, Paul. Wrote half of the New Testament, Paul. And yet they compared everything he taught with the word of God. You should be doing that with me this morning. Don't just listen to me talk about Ezra and wax eloquent about Artaxerxes. You need to know God's word, and you need to line up what I'm saying with what you personally can verify as being true from the word of God. You don't just say, "Well, this teacher teaches it," so uh, that's what I believe. Oh, well, this this movement or this you know these this this religious theological persuasion believes this. So whatever belief, whatever they say, I'm just going to vote straight ticket on that. That's what I believe. This camp, that's what I believe. This famous preacher on the radio or podcast listen to, whatever he says, that's what I believe. Friends, that's a cop-out. We are called to know the word of God, and that doesn't happen accidentally. We have to know what Scripture says, like Ezra, to resolve ourselves to study the law of God. Not just read devotionals, okay? your Our daily bread is not enough for you to get you by. To study the raw, unfiltered Word of God. And, and, and if you have a study Bible, and I do recommend that you do, don't just jump to the notes immediately if you don't understand something. Wrestle over it. Wrangle over it. Compare it to the cross references you find in the columns or, or in the, the subtext there in your the verses themselves, study, compare scripture with scripture, come to an understanding and only use those notes to corroborate, to verify the things that you've already discovered to be true in God's word. And only then do we become skilled or fluent in the word of God. I want to appreciate those who like Howard and some others who are right now are, are pushing it out on the internet. Hey, read through the Bible in a year. That's a noble goal. If you don't have a spiritual resolution, why don't you consider making that your goal for 2022. I'm going to read through the entire scriptures in one year. It's really not terribly hard. He's got like a little five-day plan that you go on. I like the five-day plans better than the seven-day plans because all of us make a mistake. And here's where most people get derailed on their Bible reading plans. You miss a couple of days, you get behind, and you start seeing, oh, what's to, what's my where's my last reading? Let's see, February 14th. What's today? May 17th. And you're like, ah. Oh, I'm so far behind, I'll never catch up, and we quit. Well, here, if you have a five-day plan, you can miss a day or two every single week and still be on track, and it will still, those five days, only take you about 15 minutes to read that. Now, I spend more than 15 minutes in the bathroom, okay, each day. I could easily read this. We can find time for the things that we want to do. So rather than watching 15 minutes of cat videos and people, you know, uh, you know, jumping into the pool and hitting their face on the side of the pool, why don't we maybe think about reading the Bible for those 15 minutes? And then you can watch all the cat videos you want, but knowing that you are filling your mind and becoming skilled in the Word of God. It's a noble goal. But Ezra didn't just want to know what the Word of God says because knowledge is a component of discipleship, but it's not everything. God wants us to obey what we read, doesn't he? And that's part of Ezra's commitment. He wants to, he set his heart to know the Word of God, certainly to study it. He says, but also to do it. He wants to be a doer of the word. Doesn't that remind you of James 1.22? It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if we, if we read the word of God and we hear the word of God, we have knowledge of the word of God, but we don't obey the word of God, what have we done? We have deceived ourselves. We think we're spiritual because we always have the right answer in Sunday school. We think we're spiritual because we have a certain title in the church. We think spirituality is something that it's not just knowing God's word or admitting that that's the right way is not, does not make one spiritual we have to choose to resolve to obey, to follow to take action on the things that we've read and that was his intention James 1.25 also says but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty by the way the Bible is called the law of liberty we think of the Bible as giving us restrictions oh the Bible is so difficult I'm in prison what does James call it? it's the law of liberty the law that sets me free. I'm not bound to sin. The one who looks into that law and perseveres, which is what it's going to take, you're going to have to intentionally push some things out of your life to include the things that are most important. To perseveres, who's no longer a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed in his doing. You know what that is? The good hand of God is upon you. Are you telling me that if I choose and commit and resolve in my heart to study the word of God and to commit myself to obeying whatever I read, no matter how hard it is, that that will result in God's hand being upon me and bless me in whatever I'm doing? That's exactly what James is saying. It's not that, the concept is not that hard. The execution is where it's difficult. The last part of his resolution was to teach his statutes and rules. He wasn't just going to learn the Bible. He wasn't just going to uh, to teach it, or to, to obey it. He wanted to teach others. You see, when you're a baby eagle, you learn how to feed yourself. You learn how to fly for yourself. What does a mature mother eagle do? She teaches the babies how to feed. She teaches those babies how to fly, bears them up under her back, and she drops them off, and she swoops down and picks them up again, and she teaches them. That's what mature Christian maturity is. We're no longer just trying to learn how to take care of meat. You know you're a mature believer when you are studying the law of God, you're practicing the law of God, and now you look around and you're like, hey, I could help this guy or this guy. I could help others grow in their walk with Christ. That's where maturity starts to take place. You're the mother eagle teaching others how to feed. You're the mother eagle teaching others how to fly. But we're not fully mature in Christ until we're passing on what God has given to us. What are you passing on to others? Who is it in your life that is a more spiritual person because of your life, your words, your testimony, and your ministry? Can we truly say that we're mature in Christ until we're doing that? He said that he was committed to teaching others two things, statutes and rules. A statute is an expectation from a higher power to those underneath them. We have certain statutes in this city. Try playing loud music at 1 a.m. and see if one of those statutes doesn't get called. (laughs) You know, somebody, your neighbor's gonna call up and they're gonna call you to that statute. It's an expectation that you're gonna follow that. You know, you can't build a liquor store so many feet from a church. Why? There's a statute. There's an expectation. Ezra is saying that God's word is not just a list of advice that if you wanna live a good life, live it, but if you wanna ignore it, go ahead. He's saying, that God's word has statutes, expectations from a higher power to us. God actually expects that we're going to seek his word and to follow it. And so Ezra's gonna teach those things, but also God gives us rules. This is a legal term. It's a court ruling. This is right. This is wrong. What he's saying is that when it comes to ethical and moral issues, God has issued a ruling On things like abortion, homosexuality, uh, drunkenness, uh, immorality, and all these other things. God has already issued a ruling. There's a meme going around the internet that says, if God has spoken, your opinion really doesn't matter. When we give an opinion that's contrary to God's ruling, we have judged God. When we give an opinion contrary to where God has already ruled, we are now judging God. We're telling the judge, you're wrong. So God speaks, and we simply have an obligation to say, yes, God is right, or no, I disagree, and I'm standing against what God says. And Ezra committed himself to teaching the statutes, his expectations, and his rulings to everybody who is in Israel. That was his resolution. There's a joke that goes like this. As Bill called his parents to wish them a happy new year, his dad gets on the phone. He says, dad, what's your resolution for the new year? And his dad says, to make your mother as happy as I can all year. So all right, mom gets on the phone. He says, well, mom, what's your resolution? She says, to see that your dad keeps his new year's resolution. And we laugh, we're more likely grown because it's more like a dad joke. But it, it, it illustrates the point. For any resolution to find any kind of fruition in our life, generally we're going to need some kind of accountability. There's got to be someone there making sure that we're following through on this resolution. So maybe if your resolution is, you know what, I am going to go ahead and read the Bible through in a year this year. Maybe, maybe consider getting into a group of people who kind of connect with each other every week. Hey, how are you doing on your readings? Hey, what are you learning from those readings? You know, when you have kind of a group, it's like you become like a flock of geese, you know, who gather together and they fly in these tight formations and their their honking isn't just to irritate you. The honking is to encourage one another. Hey, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we need that in our life if we're gonna fulfill these these resolutions to become more mature in Christ. The lack of accountability is why many of us truly fail. Why we stop going to the gym. Why we pull the little Debbies out when we should have shelved that girl and eaten the... You know, asparagus that your wife made for you. That is a testimony, by the way. Ezra's resolution was what, once again, as we close? To, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Where will we, as a church, be in 20, at the end of 2022? We're going to be where we resolve to be. It really is that simple. And if we make no resolution then we should not expect that we're going to make any kind of positive difference in our life this year. Friends, I pray that you will resolve to be this kind of a person, to be an Ezra, who will commit to study and to do the law of God and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Maybe not in Israel part, maybe right here in Unity Baptist Church though. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for your word, which reminds us the importance of making resolutions. And and you even give us an example of a fellow who made resolutions, where the whole deck was stacked against him, being away from organized religion to help encourage him toward it, being away from religious structures, away from the temple in a land full of Babylonians who don't know about their God, who aren't following God. And so he's kind of on his own. He's He's a priest in an order of priesthood, that doesn't really have a job because there, there's no place to serve. And yet he, individual, chose to start making resolutions for himself. And God, no matter what anybody else in this church does, I pray that each person hearing might weigh for themselves. No matter what anyone else does, I will resolve, like Ezra, to study the law of Moses and to do it and to teach your statutes and rulings amongst the people that you've called us to, the people in our church, our community, the greater Ashland area. Maybe just start with myself or my own family. God, give us the boldness and the strength to move forward into 2022 with a heart of faith, of expectation. God, that at the end of 2022, we will be more Christ-like servants than we began this year. Lord, by faith, may we make that resolution and commitment firm today. May we invite accountability unto that resolution. We ask this all for your glory. In Christ's name.
0: Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, simply click on the link in the show notes and we'll be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you've enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. As promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at UnityBaptistAshland.com or on Facebook at UnityBaptistAshland. Remember, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are never alone. He is always near, and you are deeply loved. Until next time, have a great day.